Today's scripture can be found in the Old Testament, Genesis 18, 9 through 15, and you may follow along if you, in your pew Bibles if you wish. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of woman. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. I always love that part. Oh, yeah, you did. We are um, continuing this series that we began last week, taking a look at the questions that God asks of us. And uh, so we're going to continue that for a few more weeks. That's been an uh, enjoyable, uh, somewhat challenging, I'll be honest with you, in terms of preparing these, these reflections, uh, because I spend so much of my time thinking about what I need to ask God. Uh, it's been interesting to stop and go, oh, God's got some questions too. So I hope that you'll hear with uh, new ears and an open heart and mind today as we take on the question, is anything too hard for God? I would invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. Holy and loving God, we do come to you today with a desire to have our ears open, a desire to have our spirits laid before you. There are a lot of things that will try to get in our way. There are things in our personal journeys and perhaps experiences that will happen around us that will attempt to distract us from your word. Maybe even the words I use might distract people. So whatever gets in the way, we pray that you'll reconcile us to a place where we can get to feel, experience, and know you, learn from you, and grow with you. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For a little over 20 years in my ministry, I was very active in the camping program of our conference. Um, for 12 years, led a camp that I and a good friend of mine started for training for mentally impaired adults, and then for about another nine years, led a led high adventure camping throughout the state, taking senior high youth on uh, week-long voyages down rivers, uh, and experiencing God's creation and growing in Christian community. Uh, there were important times in my life, and I really valued that opportunity. It also led me to take responsibility in leading the camping ministry for the conference, and for 12 years, I served as the chair of the Board of Outdoor and Retreat Ministries. And over that time, we had a lot of transition occurring within camping ministries and camping programs, and 
uh, took me to Florida to uh, take a look at some adult retreat centers there and come back and help build what we now know as the Lake Huron Retreat Center. And uh, also spent some time going to national conference events uh, to try to learn from others and to share with others about the best of we could provide in camping programs for our youth and adults. During that time, I remember I was down in Atlanta, Georgia, at a camp not too far away from Atlanta, um, and there in a, a three or four day conference, they had workshops and keynote speakers, as you understand those events often do. And, and one of the keynote speakers I remember still today, he was a camp director from a camp down in Alabama. And he was a camp director, not of a United Methodist Church camp, but just a, an all-boys camp. And he's talking about some of the experiences he had in leading this all-boys camp. And he told us about this time when they had a week where the boys were there, and there was this one boy who really loved his week. He was, he was just really thriving. He was really sort of outside his normal experience and really making friends and loving all the activities of the camp. And all week long, he kept saying to everybody, boy, I can't wait for my grandparents to come pick me up on Saturday. I'm going to show them everything. And sure enough, Saturday morning came. And as that happens on Saturday mornings, parents and grandparents and all kinds of people are arriving and picking up kids, and it's always a very chaotic moment at the dismissal of camp. Well, while everybody else was being picked up and taken away, this boy was taking grandma and grandpa over the entire camp, saying, this is where we had our campfire, and this is where we did archery, and this is where we went swimming, and all over the place, until finally everyone else had left, except for the camp director the counselor to this boy, the boy and his grandparents. And the grandparents were excited to see everything their grandson wanted to show them, but they'd been there for a while. Now they need to climb in a car and drive some distance back home. And the grandmother, standing there as they were all saying their quick goodbye, said, you know, before I get in the car, I really need to use the restroom. And the camp director said, well, it's a boy's camp, so I don't have a women's restroom, but we're the only ones here, so you just go ahead and use that. The guy's right here, and we'll, we're here. You'll be fine. So she went and used the restroom and came out, and people were saying their goodbyes, and she turned to her husband, and she said, Carl, I am so impressed by this camp. This camp is a boys' camp, but it is absolutely spotless. It is so clean. That shocks me. The camp director said, well, honestly, the fact is we knew you all were coming, so we cleaned up last night. Right, and so we sort of have the camp at its best right now. She said, well, yeah, I, I sort of understand that, but I still think it's amazing how clean you keep this place. And Carl, she said, it's amazing. You go in the restroom, and they have this amazing sink for the boys that keeps running water continuously. <laughs> and they have these really sweet-smelling soap cakes in the bottom that you can use to wash your hands. The boys must really appreciate this so much. And everyone sort of stood around for a second, and, and the camp director was doing everything he could to contain himself, but Carl wasn't going to miss his opportunity. He said, honey, 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 that's the urinal. Ah! And she goes rushing back in to one can only imagine scrub her skin down to the very essence. And, and she comes out, and she's just mortified and embarrassed. And, and Carl says to her, honey, are you okay? And she says, I'll never be okay again. <laughs> I wonder 
I wonder if that's how Sarah felt. No, I mean, I wonder if that's how Sarah felt on this day, because I'm sure 24 years ago, when she was only 76, she was told she was going to be giving birth. And uh, as odd as that seemed, as impossible as that seemed likely to be, it was received as really good news. Because we often think 76 years old to have a baby, how nuts is that? Well, if you live in a culture where you're in predominant identity is related to your ability to give birth, it's not 76 is so late, 76 is a long time to wait. So when 76 years age came and she discovered, was told by God that she was going to be giving birth to a child, now how'd that come about? Well, see, she didn't get the promise directly, but Abram got the promise. What was the promise that God made to Abram? that you'll be a father of a great nation. That from you there will come generations after generations and after generations. Well, how do you get that? You have a child. So, 74 years of age, Sarah heard through her husband that she was going to give birth, and she'd been waiting for 24 years. She's now 99 years of age. 24 years of waiting for the impossible to happen. 24 years of wrapping your identity around that this is going to be fulfilled in my lifetime. This is going to happen. As nuts as it seems, this is going to happen. And in that hope, that unbelievable, that ridiculous hope, she found faith and passion. 24 years later, it's a long time to wait. A lot has happened. We pick up the story right before where Anne was reading for us. Uh, uh, They are Abraham and Sarah. And yes, that's important, Abraham. His name has changed. Back when the promise was given to him, it was Abram. Now it's Abraham. The change suggests that God has seen in this one such change in his holy walk with him that he now has a new identity. He's gone from Abram to Abraham. Abraham, which means exalted father. And Sarah has become Sarah because she's been on the journey too. And they're there in the middle of this noonday heat, too hot to work, too hot to play, just sitting there at the tent underneath the flat. And Abraham sees the visitors coming from afar. Scriptures let you know pretty quickly these are not normal visitors. They are, in fact, God. And those traveling with God, that's a sermon for another day. And Abraham, Abraham, goes out, and he, as is customary of the day, receives these visitors with overwhelming hospitality. Well, you know how that works, right? Abraham goes out and says, well, come to my tent and let me feed you. Let me give you something to drink. Sarah, get it ready. <laughs> uh, that's what happened. So Abraham's there entertaining these guests while Sarah is, and everyone in the group would have known, on the other side of the flap, really making it happen. And God says to Abraham what you just heard. Well, you didn't hear it. That's right. I had you read after that. Basically tells Abraham the promise is going to be fulfilled. 
I will return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Now, you know, right? They were living in a place not a lot happened. So Sarah's on the other side of the tent flap fixing everything, but she's also listening. A fact that God would have known. Where's your wife? Well, she's just inside the tent. And so Sarah hears God say to Abraham this message. Sarah will soon have a son. 70, or I mean 20 some years, 24 years since the promise has been given. She's now 99. And she laughs. Now, I don't know about you. I, in the past, I've always, I've always thought about Sarah laughing here. That's sort of a belly laugh. That's, <laughs> you got to be kidding me laugh, you know? I mean, that's sort of how I heard that, because for me, I just can't get past the fact 99 having a baby. I'm sorry, that's funny. <laughs> Unless it's you. So I sort of think it's a belly laugh, right? But the more I thought about that and taking wrestling with this passage and as it wrestled with me, I thought, you know, she's been living 24 years with delayed promise. 24 years. And I have to believe now that maybe that laugh wasn't as much of a belly laugh as it was sort of a cynical, sarcastic, (laughs) right laugh. Because maybe... 24 years ago. But now? The laugh reflected her understanding that we had pushed the envelope too far. But now we are in a time and a place and a situation where, I'm sorry, this isn't going to happen. That day had passed. And God, hearing all of this, the way in which God does, asked the question, is anything too hard for God? When God asks the question, we can assume it's rhetorical, right? I mean, even in this moment, it's rhetorical. God says, anything too hard for me? I'm coming back next season. You're going to be given birth. But the reality is that for all of us, there are places in our life where that question is not rhetorical. It is a question with which we must struggle. That struggle for me in my past experience and walking with parishioners and the unchurched for long as I've been doing that, says normally that question comes out of one of two places. It comes, one, out of a philosophical place. You know, the people who like to sit and say, well, can God make a rock so big that God can't lift the rock? Well, that's a fun Bible study. And you can, you know, you spin all the philosophical and all the phys- physics and all, the, you know, and you just, you know, that's what, I don't know. The reality is, is that the philosophical arguments can get larger than Rick can handle. And for me, the question, when it has mattered the most, is not the philosophical, but the existential. The question asked that comes out of the context of the life that people are living. The places where we live, where the question is not at all, I wonder if, but rather my entire being, is now wrapped up in the answer to this question, can God really make 
this happen? Sometimes those questions have come in a positive way, in a way of expectation, in a way of hope. Can God allow this possibly to happen so that I can fulfill that which God wants me to fulfill? Sometimes it's personal. Uh, you saw in the bulletin, or maybe you saw in uh, uh, coming up, the 15 Over Group's going to have this movie about Lima Bowie, the uh, uh, woman at age 40 who mobilized Liberia to stop the Civil War. What woman's going to stop a Civil War? Well, the story tells you the impossible is, in fact, possible for holy and faithful journeys. We know the biblical story itself gives to us the predominant story about the Exodus. Who's going to free the Hebrew slaves? Who's going to take them across the desert 40 years of the promised land? How's that going to happen? That's impossible. Ain't no way. God. Today, still, we discover there are places where the impossible on a holy journey is made possible by God. We've been experiencing that throughout so many, many years. In my life, I was raised in the 60s. Civil rights, God made a way. The reality is, as we think about today, there are places where we are desperately praying for God to make a way that seems, I don't know, North Korea comes to mind. And then a whole lot of other lists of places where I'm hoping God's going to act. Is it too hard for God? And then there are those places, those places that are not about the big picture and things like civil rights or world peace, but the places where you and I have both been facing situations in our lives that are so desperate, so broken, that there seems to be literally no life, not only at the end of the tunnel, but we can't remember where the tunnel began. You know those places? You know those places where it's been so dark when you weren't even sure you could articulate what the prayer needed to be? Ministry gives you the privilege of being with people in those horrific situations when there is no way out. Life has taken me, has taken you to places that were so dark, were filled with such bad news and such a scary future that you really understand the laugh of Sarah. It's too late. The reality is, is that those questions for me remain they remain critical to our experience of life, just as Sarah experienced them in her life. And so I struggled more with what happened with Sarah and Abraham in this story because I really need to know how it's going to happen with me. I'm really wondering how it's going to happen with us in a whole variety of levels and experiences and life situations. And here's what the story said to me. that Abraham and Sarah were already living in a time when a promise had been given. Now, 
admittedly, it had been 24 years. And admittedly, those were critical 24 years. So it took Sarah to a place where she really believed that the promise that originally had been given was now no longer going to be able to be fulfilled. Except God saw it differently. God saw it this way. I made a promise to you. There's no warranty on that promise. There's no shelf life on that promise. I told you, you are going to be a father of a great nation, and therefore you are going to have to give birth to a child, Sarah. I told you that 24 years ago. Don't you understand that when I make a promise to you, you may not know the time, but you know how it ends. You forgot. Which is why in this story, I believe, God went to Abraham and Sarah. Now, why did God have to do that? God had already made the promise. And God could have just made it happen. Sarah could have just woke up next spring pregnant. She really didn't need this encounter, did she? Well, yes, she did. Because to really embrace this, to really experience the fullness of this promise being completed, she had to come into the presence of God. She had to experience God in a relational way, not in just some magical poof way. So God went to Sarah and Abraham in person, almost literally face to face, so that their hope could exist not only in this thing happening, but in the relationship with the one who is making it happen. And for me... That has often been where this question has mattered the most. Is this too big for God? Can God make this happen? Is this too hard for God? It takes me back to the question, well, who's the God that you know? Have you placed your dreams and hopes in this fairy godmother God that you're expecting to swoop in right before midnight and just tap you on the shoulder and make you all beautiful and wonderful? Are you placing your hope in this Santa Claus God to which you have sent this list to some remote place that you know nothing about, trusting that somehow in a way that defies logic this is going to happen? Or are you expecting the unexpectable, the the impossible to happen in the context of a relationship with a God that you've begun to realize is a whole lot bigger than you? You've begun to realize in the context of a relationship that ultimately the biggest prize is not that thing that you're longing for, but the one that you are with. That you begin to realize that the fulfillment of the joys and the promises and the hopes and the deliverance that you're asking for may in fact not happen the way you've listed them and required God to do them. But the God that you are in relationship with, the God that you have come to know as your God, the God that you have come to know as your Lord, that you've begun to realize that when God has made a promise of reconciliation, of healing, of new love, of meaning in life, of peace, of justice, that the answer to the question, will this ever happen, is already answered. Yes. The specifics may be larger and greater than you can see in this moment. Sarah had lost sight of the ability 
for this to happen because she needed to get back into relationship with this God. And realizing this God had singled her out, singled her husband out for the impossible to occur. And I'm just going to suggest this, and I'm not talking about physics here, I'm talking about spirit. I just have to wonder if maybe the renewing of this and being in a personal relationship with this God put her in a place where pregnancy in all kinds of ways is made more possible. Do you understand what I mean by that? You open yourselves up to greater possibilities of an amazing God when you're in relationship with this God. And even when the time passes, when it seems like this, okay, it's now done. The one we've been praying for is now dead. The relationship we want to reconcile is now over. That the wounds of my life have now overwhelmed me. And whatever those deadlines that have passed are, instead of seeing past deadlines, we may begin to discover that the God of the impossible is still working out the promise that has been made in a way in which you cannot see now. Because ultimately, it seems to me, every time I've been in that place where, is this too hard for God? The answer comes down to, it depends. Are you expecting God to have to do it your way? Are you expecting God to complete the list as you filled it out? Are you judging the value of God by the ability for God to jump through your hoops? And if that's the answer, then the answer is yes, that's too hard for God to do because that then replaces and reverses the role where you get to be God telling God what to do. And maybe that's not impossible, but God isn't going to do that. You don't get to write the script, draw up the ending, and set the timeline. You just need to understand the promises will be fulfilled even after deadlines are passed and life has changed. If we dare to enter into a relationship with this God, I mean a real relationship, I mean a relationship like all relationships where you struggle, where you try to figure it out, where you get lost, where you celebrate, where you're overwhelmed, where you're blessed, all the above, then you may find yourself in a place where even after heartache has passed and that which you'd hoped for is no longer possible, God makes new miracles, new birthings, even resurrection in places you couldn't find it. <laughs> I'll never be the same again. Sarah said. She wasn't. She was a peasant woman. She was a wife of a, of a sheep herder who's become for us a heroine of faith how many generations later? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to include this. I, I apologize. There's a part that I didn't tell you about. See, what Ann read to you is from Genesis 18. Well, if you flip a page or two and go to Genesis 21, here's what it says. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him. 
how important they want to, Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Not a bitter laugh. Not a sarcastic laugh, but joy. For God has fulfilled his promises. And the people of God, then and now, are called to be those who dare to laugh in such a way that is unmistakable that it is impossible for others to not laugh with in the joy of the Lord for whom all things are possible. To God be the glory.